God's word. Reading out of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, Paul has been talking about the new life we have in the power of the Holy Spirit as Christians, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us and changes how we do everything in life with Christ. And this is what he says, or the implications of that. In verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. You may be seated. When I was 12 years old, my family's life changed in a radical way. One night we got a phone call that my aunt had passed away in a tragic way. Unbeknownst to us, my father, who passed away this past uh, February himself, had promised my aunt that if anything ever happened to her, he would take care of her three boys, my cousins. And so in an unbelievably courageous move, my mother and my father took in three teenage boys into their home. It was not easy. All I can say about my cousins is that they were teenage wild stallions. They had not been tamed. For months, even years, my mother and father spent lots of time talking to these boys, disciplining them, even doing hard things with them, Telling them, no, that's not what we do here. This is what we do. This is how you live. It was as if my folks were saying to my cousins, you were a part of a family once, but now you are a part of a new family. We do things a different way. Slowly but surely, the boys changed. And oh, they blew it at times, sometimes big, just like teenage boys, just like me as a teenage boy would do. But here's the thing, that didn't mean they were out of the family. (laughs) No, they just had to do the hard work of learning a different way of doing family. And all the while, while my parents were right there with them. Today in Romans 8, The Apostle Paul is going to talk exactly about this very thing. In fact, throughout Romans, Paul has been telling us, uh, even through this book, that we are a new people who are a part of a new family by following Jesus Christ. We are a part of the family of God. And for the whole of chapter 6 through 8, Paul has challenged us 
all, even here in this room, to do the hard work of living different lives in Christ as members of that new family. He's called us to do hard things like die to sin, to not let sin reign in us. And even as verse 13 in chapter 8 says, to put to death the deeds of the body, the old ways of doing thing and the old family of sin. But here's the thing. All the while he's talked about this doing the hard work of living a new way in the family. He has not encouraged us to do it alone. He has told us here in Romans 8 that we have the presence of God in the power of the Holy Spirit with us as we learn how to do family God's way. In other words, Paul is calling us to live by the Spirit as we follow Jesus. And so here's the question that we're going to dwell on today in this text and around this issue. What does living in the family and by the Spirit mean for us? What does that look like? Well, Paul explains what that looks like throughout the book, uh, chapter 8 of our text. But particularly here in verses 13 through 17, he concentrates with a series of fours, for this, for that, to explain what it means to be in God's family. Now, last week, David did an excellent job of covering what it means to be a part of the family. He talked about, in verse 13, that the battle imagery, that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. And I love this. This is a great word, David. And saying to the effect, we are called to kill off sin in our lives or that sin will kill us. And the idea here being that repentance... And turning away from the old ways to following Christ in relationship is key. And then in verse 14, we see yet another four to describe this life. And he says that we are led by God, is what he says in verse 14. Uh, Being led does not mean that God is guiding us along like a dog on a chain. Being led in this sense is the sense of influence, that God is present and influencing in every way how we lead our lives. He wants to be a part of our lives in every way. But how does he do that? What does that look like? Well, I want you to notice in the text, it actually says multiple times in our text that he he is Guiding us by the Spirit. He is leading us by the Spirit. Of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he does it multiple times in our text today. He does so uh, by saying we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And in verse 15, we cry out by the Spirit. We are led in verse 14 by the Spirit. And coming out of that, we can say at least three things about the Holy Spirit that's in our text. And the first is this. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. In other words, we say that uh, we can be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, in the same way that you can be in a relationship with the Father and the Son, we also are in a living relationship with a person, In the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Second thing we can say about the Holy Spirit here, by this, in this idea of by the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is a presence. In this text, it, it, you ought to see it. It's full of uh, Greek verbs that are with verbs, you know, with this, with that. In fact, in, uh, in uh, verse 16, it says the Spirit bears witness with us. And, it, and that verb has this uh, uh, with language embedded in it. And guys, this is the same language that you find throughout all of the Old Testament. It's the same promise that is the number one promise, the most frequent promise you find throughout the Old Testament. And what is that promise? That God is with us. God regularly promises, I am with you. I will be with you. He even promises a Savior to come Emmanuel, who is God with us. This spirit, in other words, is with us. And as we know from the rest of chapters eight, chapter 8, he's even in us. Third, the spirit points us. The spirit points us to the Father and the Lord Jesus. Did you realize that the very job of the spirit is to be the quiet person of the Trinity? His job is to point us to Christ and to point us to the Father and to direct our attention to them. He takes joy in directing us to focus on the one true God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's a part of his leading us to God. Now let me ask, why is this important? Why am I even saying this to you? Why do you need to know about the Spirit and the third person of the Trinity? Well, I'd like to suggest that in our age, we have a problem understanding spiritual things. Indeed, the language of spirituality today in our world is that of energy. Some years back, Elizabeth and I went up to Asheville for a time away, kind of celebrating our uh, anniversary, our wedding anniversary. And we went to Asheville. Downtown, love being there. Elizabeth's an artist, and we'd hang out in the art stores. They even started hanging around with some of the artists. Elizabeth and the artists are just drawn to each other to talk about art. But it was amazing to me how one after the other, these artists would talk about energy. Energy in a real spiritual sense. Well, I would suggest to you that in our age, there's more and more talk of energy as kind of an inanimate, inanimate uh, experience. But the Holy Spirit is not inanimate. He's not even something like microwaves that warm you up. He's not even mere excitement like you might experience at a concert. Nah, the Holy Spirit's a person. A person to be engaged with so that we might find Christ yet again where we live right now and here. In fact, theologians sometimes call the Holy Spirit God in the present tense. The Holy Spirit was put here in our lives to lead us to the Father and even to the Son. But there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit, if you will, is leading us into something. He's leading us into the family. Did you see that in verse 14? Had this language of family there. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. As you're being led into the family, 
You realize you're part of the family when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Now, guys, being a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God is a life changing thought. We are sons or children of God if we are led by the spirit. Now, how does somebody therefore become a child of God? How about do we try to be nicer people with better morals? Nope, that's not it. Do we give a nod to God as the honorary president of the universe? Nope, that's not it either. Do we say, I believe in God in some vague sense, but never put a name to that God? Nope. According to Christianity, the way to become a child of God is to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. To look to that Christ who came in history 2,000 years ago, the one who lived, who died on a cross, and was resurrected from the dead for our hope, for our life, for our salvation. He's the one who accomplished it for us. That Christ, this gospel found in Scripture, is the one we are called to believe. This is our hope, that you can be a child of God simply by giving up. Faith is giving up all your efforts to make yourself better. Believe me, I've tried. It doesn't work. Faith is the belief that I cannot no longer trust in the idols of this world that I've tried. And even I've tried some good ones. Money, power. We could go on. Nah, faith is I can't fix myself. I can't fix my world. I need you alone to save me, Lord. To make me right with God as I have even offended him with my life. This is what it means to be a child of God. Is the entry point. And there are two blessings that come out of this entry point of faith. With Christ. And the first is this. The first blessing is you are justified. Justified. Now justification is courtroom language. In God's courtroom, if we were to all stand in the courtroom with our record laid out before him, we would all be by nature guilty. And that includes me and especially me. But what happens when we receive Christ is this. is before God says we're guilty, Christ comes and covers us and with his death on the cross, our record is taken away as he takes on the punishment we all deserve. God the judge declares us not guilty by virtue of what Christ has done for us. But it gets better. Not only is justification about God saying you're not guilty, he also says you are righteous because Christ's life, his living in obedience actively covers up all that we even try to pull off as Christians in our lives. Justification secures our future in eternity with God as we are not guilty and described as righteous. Now, you think that's pretty cool, don't you? I do. I mean, that's something to get excited about. Covered, clean, I have hope, I don't have to live with this guilt anymore, but it gets even better. Second Blessing that God does for us 
is he walks down from the bench, comes over to us, puts his arm around us and says, you know what, I've not only forgiven you and given you the righteous record of Christ, but I want you to be in my family. Come be a part of my family. Come home for me. The judge of the universe says, come home with me and stay. This is beyond our wildest dreams in many cases. But that's what Christianity is about. The God of the universe through Christ forgiving us and bringing us into the family because of Christ. Here's the question. How does that happen? How are we brought into the family? Well, verse 15 tells us it happens through something called adoption. You see, it's common belief in this world that everybody in the world is God's, are God's children. And on some level, that's true as God, as God is creator. Uh, we do belong to him in that sense. But in terms of actual family, for eternity, nobody is born into the family of God. We are born of flesh. And we must be born of the spirit in order to be put in the family. In other words, God chooses to adopt us much like we adopt children into our families. Let me illustrate. As I speak, many of, know, many of you know that Blair and Stacy Burke are in Congo, Africa, spending several weeks there for the sole purpose of completing the adoption of their son, their African son, Benaya. Benaya has no family. He is an orphan. Blair and Stacy, however, after years of prayer and investment into this situation and through the help of an adoption agency, have chosen Benaya and gone to Africa to pick him up and bring him home. And and we look forward to that day coming very soon in the next few weeks after a long wait with them. But let me ask you something. Did Benaiah do something to win their love? Did Benaiah flash his smile? Did Benaiah do a little dance? Did Benaiah say something really cute as a little kid? Nope. None of those. The only reason Benaiah is going to be a part of the Burke family by God's grace is exactly that, grace. God chose, uh, rather the Burks chose this little boy out of their love for him. Their desire to give love to him. And that was entirely from something from within them. I would suggest God's spirit working. Well, the same is true for you and me. There is nothing in this life you can do to earn a spot in the family of God. Zip. Nothing you can do, even your best works aren't enough. And dare I say, even if you are a Christian and have been following Jesus a long time, there is nothing you can do in this life to keep you in the family on your own merit. Now, the only thing that gets us into the family of God and keeps us in the family of God is the love of God for you in Christ. 
That's it. It is entirely of grace that God adopts us into his family. We don't do a little jig for God to get in. We don't smile. We actually are chosen by God to be in the family. Why do I say this? And why does Paul talk about this in this text? Why is it so important to talk about adoption and being in God's family? Well, look at the text with me in verse uh, 15. It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we call Abba, Father. You know what was happening to the Roman Christians? And dare I say happens to us, even those of us who follow Jesus, is they were walking back into slavery, even as children of God. What do I mean by slavery? Well, they were living by fear. Sometimes when we're afraid in this life of hardship, of struggle, of scary things that do happen, even scary people, our tendency is to go one of two ways. The first way is we go to sin, license. Man, I just want to self-medicate, so I'll do drink, drug. Some of us is food, some of us is work. All kinds of things so that we can feel better. We indulge our hearts so that we can somehow feel better about ourselves in life. But there is another way. And Galatians talks about this kind of slavery. It's the slavery of the rules of religion. That says, well, I feel so insecure and afraid before God that he's going to zap me. That I better get my life together now and start living by the rules. I'm going to discipline myself, try hard, and then God will love me. Ah, and don't you say you haven't thought that before. Because I think it very regularly. And hear you guys think it out loud. When... We go to the rules. When we go to even license and sin, what you don't realize is you're putting yourself back into slavery. Now listen to me. The rules have a place. We've talked about that. The Ten Commandments, as it was read even today, are an evidence. Living out of those is evidence that you are walking with Jesus but don't think for a minute that it's the reason you're walking with Jesus. It's not. Paul understood in our text today that we need to learn how to be children of God. And this is the first major application in chapter 8 that you've got to live with. You are a child of God and God has called you to live in the Spirit and to rest as his child, adopted because he chose you. Not because of anything you did, but because of something inside of him. Love, grace, compassion. Why do I say this? Why do we struggle with this? What difference does it make between slaves and children? Well, let me give you some practical examples of the difference between slaves and children. And maybe this will help us to think through what the difference is. And the first is this. Slaves live in fear and worry. 
Because after all, if you don't get it straight, who knows what's going to happen? Children, on the other hand, live in rest. Because the Father has loved them and provided, He will provide even what they, we need. Slaves feel alone. Children, on the other hand, pursue the presence of the Father. You know, last night, my son was in another room. He was watching online the North Carolina High School Athletic Association's uh, state championship soccer games. And he kept calling my name out from his room. Dad, Dad, Dad. Did I just sit there and go, I'm not going to him. I don't want to be around him. Are you kidding me? When he said, Dad, I was like, oh, I got to go see what's up. Would you believe that God the Father is eager to come to you like that when you call on him? Slaves need to perform and be successful and will project on other people. You need to be successful even in your Christian living. But children live in responsive love. That is, they are loved and cared for. And out of that, they work in their lives in faithfulness to the Father, whether success comes or not. Slaves rest in their abilities. They try harder because if I just use my gifts even more, then everything will be okay. Children, on the other hand, rest in the protective power of their father. Slaves need to be right and win arguments because Lord knows if I don't win this argument, what that'll say about me. Children, on the other hand, can accept correction because the father is going to love them even with a correction. Slaves need to fix things. Children, on the other hand, trust in the father's salvation and his abilities to do that. Slaves are cynical. They gossip. Why? Because they want to look good themselves and say, look at how bad they look over there. Children, on the other hand, when they know they're loved, can openly say, look at the mess I am. Love me, God. Love me, Father. Slaves complain. Children give thanks. Slaves say, I can do it myself. Children say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Slaves are defensive and won't listen. Children know the truth and love the truth, even if it's a hard truth about them. And here's the one that gets really close to me right now. Slaves don't like change. Slaves, in fact will make a big deal of change. And that's been my struggle the last few weeks. As a lot has been changing in our church with our staff, I like stability. I like things to be together. But that's my gospel sometimes. My gospel is that everything must be smooth and everybody be okay. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes change is for the good, especially if God is in control of it. The biggest application of all comes in our text itself when the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 15 that slaves can live in busyness and fear of dealing with life and the truth, whereas children stop and in the midst of their trouble, their pain, their disappointment, they cry out, Abba, 
Father. That's exactly what a first century Jewish kid would say in Aramaic to their father. Abba. And it's the cry of desperation. The cry of I need you. Oh, and isn't that the hardest one for us to admit? I need you, God, because I'm not enough. The Spirit is the one who leads us into this kind of prayer. The Spirit is the one who calls us, to, leads us to God the Father in prayer so we might get a glimpse of His glory and realize He's big enough to handle anything as our Dad and our Father. There is a second important application you need to know from this text. And it's in verses 16 through 17. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. <laughs> you know, it figures. The Bible and God keeps bringing up suffering. Hardship, pain, difficulty. When trouble comes in our lives, when pain comes in our lives, when things just aren't going the way we had hoped, and yes, they are even trying upon us. It's in those moments that we all wonder, is God real? Does he care? Does he even think about me? And you know what Paul says to that? Oh, you have no idea how much he thinks about you. You have no idea. In fact, it says here in verse 16 that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know what he's talking about there? Assurance. Many of you in this room struggle with assurance because you're performance addicts just like I'm a recovering performance addict. You must perform spiritually for God in order for him to like you. Oh, I didn't have my quiet time today. God loves me less. Oh, I didn't witness to my friend. God loves me less. Oh, I didn't serve at church. God loves me less. Oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I didn't do that. And pretty soon, you feel this small and far from God. And I got to tell you, God didn't choose you on the basis of your works. He chose you because of something within a him. And his love like a true and infinite father, never changes. He hasn't stopped loving you. Paul is laying out for us a way to test assurance for us. In fact, I want to give you three things to think about regarding assurance when you struggle with it in your performance addiction. And the first is this. The first is the primary reason we can have assurance that God is our Father and we are His children. And it's this. If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, even if that's a messy trust, you keep going back to Him again and again, you can rest assured that as you lean on those promises of salvation in Scripture, you're a child of God. Because nobody trusts in Jesus without the Holy Spirit being in them, empowering that trust. Secondary reason, a ground that you can have assurance that you are a child of God when all of life seems to be falling apart, is this. 
the fruit of the Spirit shows up in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control in the works you do, in relationships, in the job you do at work, in everything. Little signs of the fruit of the Spirit show up. I'll give you an example. If you struggle with pride, of course, nobody here struggles with pride, right? Not an issue. <laughs> Not for me, right? If you struggle with pride, And you know it, that is a start of the work of the Holy Spirit. But he's not done. He will lead you in humility, sometimes through hard circumstance. But if you show little signs of humility in circumstances where you normally wouldn't exhibit it, that's the Holy Spirit working. That's the Spirit doing things in you. There is one second, one last secondary sign to know that you are a Christian, a child of God. It's this. It's the Holy Spirit whispering in that still, small voice in prayer. When you pray, Abba, Father, it's the Spirit saying, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. Let me tell you how this works in life. Here's how Satan works. You ready? Especially for Christians. Christians will start to grow in an area, let's say, pride again. And they'll say, you know, I'm showing some progress here in pride. And then one day they get in a conflict and their pride bucks up and they just go to, uh, go to fighting with people. And then immediately they say to themselves, there I go again. Am I ever going to change? And then Satan will say, there you go again. You're never going to change. Who the heck are you? But what our text is saying is that the Holy Spirit is our witness with our souls. And he stands up in the courtroom of God and says, Satan, liar! This is a child of God. Look at the way their lives have been changed. God freed them from this sin and that sin. They are still growing in that freedom. Look at them become more Christ-like. Satan will accuse you, but Jesus in the Spirit will love you. He'll be gentle with you. You know, that is the thing I long for the most in my own heart with God, is gentleness. I come from a rough background and I have a rough personality. Gentleness is what talks to me. And it's the same gentleness that whispers to you, you are a child of God. What happens as those grounds come together for you is that at some point you start to actually say with some confidence, I am a child of God. I am a child. Let me encourage you. If you struggle with assurance today, it's possible to be saved and going to heaven, but not have assurance. But God's business is giving you the spirit more and more and convincing you of the gospel so that you have more and more assurance and live with more and more peace in the gentle, kind love of God. That leads us to the final blessing 
that comes in our text. And it is basically this. We are heirs. We are heirs because we have the Spirit as a down payment. We are heirs for an incredible future. You have a new heavens and a new earth, a mansion, treasures in heaven. You think Marvin has big houses? You ain't seen nothing. Jesus Christ has promised that we will have eternal riches. And you know what our greatest rich, rich what our greatest treasure is? It's God himself. It's God himself. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life to give you a vision of who you're dealing with and who you'll be with forever. And let me tell you, with an infinite God and trying to know an infinite God, even when we get to heaven, we still have a lot more knowing to do. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us as children into the family every day in prayer where we can say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. May God give us the grace to pursue him that way together as his family. Let's pray. I want us to all stop for a second. And think about this truth. If you trust in Christ for your salvation, you are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. You are loved as much as God loves his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit say, you are a child of God. And say back to him, I am a child of God in your heart. Abba, Father, I pray for everyone here, including me. This is the hardest truth of Christianity to actually believe and live by. And we need your help, Holy Spirit, to convince us because we are so attracted by fear into slavery. Lead us into a life of faith, hope, and love so that we together as a body would no longer fear the challenges, the changes that go on our families, our lives, even our church, but that we would rest in the fact that we are your children. And we are children by amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us as we sing.